So let's get into the story of Ruth. Ruth is a story about loss, a story about love, and a story about loyalty. And I want to ask you a question as we begin our message today. Thinking about your own life, was there ever a time in your life when you felt lonely or desperate? Was there ever a time when the bottom dropped out of your life, when the future looked bleak, and you felt like you had no one in your life that you could lean on to help you? Those are desperate times when people face uh, crises like that. Here's another question. Have you ever moved from one place to another? Move from a place where you were comfortable, a place where you knew everybody, to a new place where everything was different, everything seemed uncomfortable, and it didn't seem like there was anybody throwing a welcome party for you in the new place where you were living. If you can relate to any of that, you can relate to the story of Ruth and the story of Ruth's mother-in-law. Her name is Naomi. So the story of Ruth is many things. It is a love story. You'll see this story later on in Ruth, and we're going to be one chapter a week, right? So we're in the first Sunday of November, chapter one. Do you see where I'm going with this? Second Sunday of November, chapter two. Third Sunday, right before Thanksgiving, chapter three. So this is easy to follow. See, put your cookies on the bottom shelf. Let everybody get to them. And then the fourth Sunday of November, we're going to be uh, wrapping it up in Ruth four, and we're going to see a beautiful wedding and we're going to see an empty Naomi filled after all. So, uh, but right now we're in uh, chapter one. So it is a love story about an Israelite man from Judah named Boaz and a non-Israelite woman from Moab uh, named Ruth. So it's a love story. Ruth is also a story of loyalty where two women from different cultures and backgrounds and values, Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, where they were able to learn to love each other, to respect and value each other's friendship. Ruth came to know the one true God of Israel through her mother-in-law, Naomi. And Naomi came to renew her hope and faith in the God of Israel through her daughter-in-law, Ruth. Naomi let Ruth see and feel her unedited thoughts and emotions and feelings about God. And it did not drive Ruth away from God. You see, Ruth is also a story about loss. And that is what we're going to focus on right here in chapter 1. Ruth is a story of loss. In fact, the story of Ruth begins with the story of loss. You see, there's an Israelite family. They were from the town of Bethlehem. Yes, that is the same Bethlehem where Jesus was born. The same Bethlehem where his ancestor David was born. Uh, uh, Jesus... Uh, in the time now is in the time of the judges. It is about 1,200 years before Christ. And this family, in a time of famine in Israel, this, this family decides to move away from Israel and to go live in a foreign country. And that country was called Moab. Moab is on the southeastern side of the Dead Sea. I think we have a map there. If you can see that map, you see where the Dead Sea is right in the middle to the west of the Dead Sea, you see on the north side there, there's Jerusalem and Bethlehem about five or six miles to the south. And then on the eastern side of the Dead Sea, over to the south, there is the land of Moab. That is where this family moved to in a time of famine uh, in the land of Israel. So let's go right to the scripture. If you have it in your Bibles, you can follow along. Otherwise, you can look with us up on the screen. It says this beginning in Ruth chapter one. In the days when the judges ruled, 
There was a famine in the land. And a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, they went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. Very interesting, Elimelech. Uh, even though he left Israel in a time of famine, Elimelech is a great name, a, a Hebrew name, which means God is my king. His wife's name was Naomi. Naomi means, means pleasant. And I think he chose well because uh, who wouldn't want a pleasant wife? You certainly want, don't want to choose. I'm going to marry bitter, you know. I, I'm going to marry critical, you know. <laughs> I can't imagine. He, he wouldn't be a happy man after that. Okay, so he, he marries Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malan and Kilian, all right? So you have this family of four. Uh, they're moving away from Israel to the land of Moab. Oh, good news here. Uh, you don't have to keep all those names straight because three out of these four characters die right away. Now, verse 3, now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. He's the first one who died. And she was left with her two sons. Remember, that was Malan and Kiliam. And the two sons, they married Moabite women. One was named Orpah. That's not Oprah. That is the, the right spelling, Orpah. And the other woman, uh, both Moabites, they were named, she was named Ruth. And after they lived there about 10 years, both Malan and Kilian also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons, and her husband. So this is, the story begins with a terrible story of loss. It's terrible news for Naomi. It's a tragedy for this Jewish wife and mother. First, she loses her husband, so now she's a widow. And then her sons marry Moabite women. Now, by the way, this was prohibited for good Hebrew boys to do, but they did it anyway because they were living in a foreign land. And before either of these two sons and their wives, before either of them had children, both of her sons grow ill and they die. So picture where Naomi is as the story begins. She is a Jewish widow. She's living in a foreign land. Her only two children die. And now Naomi is alone. She's impoverished and she's living in a foreign country called Moab. Can you imagine how Naomi must have been feeling? We should have stayed in Israel. I must be cursed by God. What did I do wrong? God, why are you punishing me this way? I'm bitter at God because he took my loved ones away from me. I'm very sad and lonely. And above all that, I miss my home. You know, you and I, we can certainly identify with Naomi in this story of Ruth. You can identify with her if you have ever lost a loved one. If you've ever gone through a series of painful losses, if you've ever been in a financially desperate situation, you can identify with Naomi if you've ever wondered if God still cared about you or, it, or when some tragedy or crisis happens, if you think it's because God is punishing you for some reason. Sometimes, you know, it's not God punishing us at all. Sometimes it's the fact that life is hard on this side of heaven and life happens bad things happen even to good people so the reality is for Naomi that without a husband without sons to provide for her in a land where there's no such thing as welfare Naomi was facing poverty she was facing starvation and so she's desperate and so I think Naomi at this time says you know what this this trip to Moab has been Moab has been nothing but a disaster 
She's going to gather what little she had left, and now she wants to return home. And finally, in, in, in all this bad news, Naomi finally hears a little bit of news of hope. And she hears this, verse 5, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. Let me just give you a background in Israel's history. Moses, the great prophet, when Israel was going into the promised land, you can read this in the fifth book of the Bible. It's the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy means a second reading of the law. So Moses is the great lawgiver. You remember he came down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments. And then there were many other commands for the Jewish people to live by. And in the commands, there was both a blessing and a curse. And the blessing went like this. If you are faithful to the Lord your God, if you obey his commands, if you live the way that God wants you to live, God will bless your land. He will bless your people. He will bless your family. He will bless your crops. Um, but if you are unfaithful to the Lord your God, if you go after other gods, the gods of the Canaanites, if you start worshiping idols and bowing down to them, God says one of the first things he would do is he would shut off the rain from the land of Israel. And, they, and that's one reason why they were in a land of famine. And that's why perhaps Elimelech said, you know what, God is, is uh, this land is under a curse. That's why they went to Moab in the first place. But now, and we don't know what happened, if you want to read the book of Judges, there were a number of judges that God raised up, a number of heroes like Gideon, like Samson, like Barak, um, like Deborah. She was one of the great judges of Israel. And, they, and God raised them up at certain times to draw Israel back to the Lord their God, back to the right walk with God, right? So now, uh, I, my imagination says one of the judges God raised up, they defeated uh, an enemy of Israel, and God brought rain back to the land, and now there was food again. And so it says the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them. Naomi, I've got to think this, she had to have had some regrets about leaving Israel, going to Moab in the first place, even when, if there was a famine. I mean, Naomi's home was there in Bethlehem. The rest of her family was in the area. And now that her husband and children were dead, there was nothing to keep her living in Moab. So finally, she says, it's time to go home. Now, this is an interesting twist in the story because Naomi says, okay, it's time to go home. Naomi doesn't end up going home by herself. Naomi had two daughters-in-law who are Moabitesses. Moabitesses, is that the right word? Two women from Moab. Uh, they also, apparently, these two women, even though they had a Jewish mother-in-law, so there's like strike one right there. No, but anyway, they had a Jewish mother-in-law and they were Moabite women. They had a good relationship with Naomi and they had a good relationship with one another. I mean, Naomi's faith in Yahweh, apparently her loving spirit, it must have impressed them. It must have impacted both Orpah and Ruth because both Orpah and Ruth are drawn to her. Naomi's wife must have been a powerful witness to the reality of God, to the one true God. And the, young and the younger women were drawn to the God whom Naomi worshipped. And here's, my, here's just a, a pause and a sidebar comment. That wherever you are, whenever you are living out your faith for the Lord Jesus Christ, whenever you are actively pursuing a love relationship with Jesus and his light is shining through you, other people will notice and other people are watching you all the time, whether you realize it or not. It, as you live out your life of faith, people around you will take notice. So Naomi says to Oprah and Ruth, 
Uh, it says, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, as she's getting ready to go back to Israel, she's going back to the, her hometown of Bethlehem. She says to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. And may the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Very interesting, Naomi's prayer. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Who knew how God was going to answer that prayer for one of those daughters-in-law? So she says that, go home to your, to your uh, and maybe you'll find rest in another husband. Why do you think Naomi told her daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, why do you think she told them to go back to their homes? Well, first of all, she might have been testing them. She might have been testing them to see, hey, do you really want to go back with me to Bethlehem? Because we're going back to a foreign country, and this is a culture different from the people here in Moab. And our God that we worship is different from your God, Chemosh, that you worship. So she might have been testing them to see how serious they were about following her. She, I think also Naomi was concerned about their welfare. I mean, how were they going to fare as foreign women now living in Israel? And then third, perhaps out of kindness to them, she thought that the best move for these young women was to go back to your family and find Moabite husbands that you can marry. Go back to your own people. Look, Naomi said, your sister-in-law, now Ruth is the only one left because Orpah's left, and Ruth stayed with Naomi. You know, she said, hey, please, it's time to go. Uh, We had a a not good run together, but I I was kind to you. You were kind to me. I bless you. Go back to your husband, and and Ruth wouldn't leave. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and to her gods. Go back with her. I don't think... uh, I think that Naomi made a really good impression on her daughters-in-law, but here's the difference between Orpah, the one daughter-in-law, and Ruth. I don't think Orpah ever came to believe in the one true God of Israel, the Holy One, the maker of heaven and earth. Maybe Orpah couldn't overcome her own cultural pressure, her own uh, groupthink of the Moabite culture, and she couldn't turn away from her own Moabite God. By the way, that Moabite God, his name was Chemosh, or Chemosh. Chemosh is translated destroyer, or subduer, or conqueror. In 1 Kings 11, Chemosh is called the detestable God of the Moabites. Now, why would Israel call Chemosh a detestable God? Hey, if you're not our God, you got to be detestable. But there's a reason why this God was known as detestable. Um, The worship of Chemosh included orgiastic practices among the worshipers. It included human sacrifice. And I think Ruth, unlike Orpah, Ruth saw the difference between the God of the Moabites and the God of Israel, the one that Naomi worshipped. And I think Ruth, Ruth said something like this, I'm not going to go back and worship that awful God. You know what? Naomi taught me about the one true God, the God who is loving, the God who cares, the God who is loyal to his people. I'm not leaving Naomi, and I'm not leaving her God. And so look, look what Ruth says, and this is one of the key passages in the whole book of Ruth. She says this, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you from me. 
So Ruth is not giving up. She's not leaving Naomi. She's not going away. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Now, here's a question I have for you. Why do you think that Ruth insisted on going to Israel, going to a foreign country with her mother-in-law, Naomi? Well, first of all, I think she loved Naomi. I think she respected her. I think she wanted to help her. I think she saw her as, a, as an older woman who was now widowed and now desperate. And she said, I will do whatever I can to help this woman because of her kindness to me. But secondly, and even more importantly, I think that Ruth had grown to believe in and to follow Naomi's God. She believed in Yahweh, the God of Israel. She put her trust in them. And one of the reasons I think that it's, it's pretty apparent that she had converted to the God of Israel is look what she said there in verse 17. She said, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Do you realize that is a Hebrew oath swearing? In other words, that is a great sign that Naomi had really converted and become a follower of Yahweh, the God of Israel. As you read the story of Ruth, you're going to see this unlikely pair. You see this Moabitess young woman named Ruth, and you see this Jewish older mother-in-law named Naomi. Um, so there's a Jewish woman and a Gentile Moabite daughter-in-law, and the unlikely uh, happening, the unlikely reality and the beauty of this story is that these two women, as different a background as they had, they could develop a strong friendship and a mutual commitment to do what is best for the other person. And I want to just stop and say that. That kind of love, even today, that is uncommon and it is admirable. And whenever you see somebody that is different from you, Whenever you see somebody who has values different from you, if you can love that person and you can respect that person and you can look past the differences and remember all the things you have common and you can still be that person's friend, you are doing something that is very admirable, that is very much like our Savior Jesus. So these two women decide to go back to Israel. And it says this, there's this it says, the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. There's only one verse that talks about the whole journey. I think that journey wasn't as easy as it's just described there. Well, they went on and, you know, after a couple hours, they uh, walked into Bethlehem. No, this was a 70 to 80 mile uh, hike, a walk. It was mostly uphill. It was filled with dangers. It was filled with robbers. That, that was called the Red and Bloody Way, which was that trail that went from down near the Dead Sea in Jericho up to Jerusalem. Uh, it's a climb of about you know, almost 3,000 feet, and it was full of robbers. That's where the story of the Good Samaritan takes place, where the guy was on his way from one town to another, and he got waylaid and left for dead. That was the area they had to travel through. And I think it was obvious that God was watching over and protecting these two women on their journey home. They were uh, hopefully able to join a caravan or a group of people that were going back to Israel. And I think that's the way that God kept them safe on the way. So now they arrive. You see the map there. They're in the southeast part of the Dead Sea. They go the 70 or 80 miles along that trail. They arrive back in Bethlehem and it says this. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. You know, it's interesting. You know, news happens in a small town and, hey, what's going on? What happened? You know, the whole town, the whole town was stirred because these two women walked back into this uh, small town of Bethlehem and the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Naomi. 
Can this be Naomi? Now remember, Naomi means pleasant, right? So here's the irony of the story. Because she says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. By the way, Mara means bitter. It says, call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why are you calling me Naomi? Why are you calling me pleasant? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Do you, do you see the anguish in Naomi's life right now? Do you see her loss? Do you see her despair and her desperation? Um, and what, one thing I like about that is uh, Naomi doesn't seem to hide it from Ruth. You know, I, I'll be, I'll say, I'll answer guilty to this question right here. Have any of you guys ever sort of faked it and put on a mask around people that are new believers or, or unbelievers because you don't want them to think less of your God? If you say that, yeah, I'm a believer in Jesus and I follow him, but right now I'm having a real struggle and I'm not real happy with what God is doing in my life and my life is, you know, the bottom's dropping out and and I don't know what I'm going to do in the future, but I'm trying to hang on to my faith. And if you feel like you can't share that openly with somebody because you're going to say, oh, they're going to judge me, or they're going to say I'm weak in my faith, or they're going to say, well, maybe I shouldn't trust in their God at all. You know, Naomi seems to have the honesty and the transparency to just say, look, this is honestly where I am in my life in my faith journey. And I don't think it turned Ruth away from God. I think it actually endeared her. Sometimes, you know, um, Paul says that I will boast about my weaknesses because when I boast about my weaknesses, it puts the focus on Jesus rather than on me. And, and that's why Paul says, when I am weak, then I am strong. Because when I'm weak, Christ says, then my power is perfected in your weakness. And I think that's what the Lord Jesus was doing even in Naomi's uh, tragedy and in her despair and in her bitterness at this time. So Naomi, they get back to uh, Bethlehem, and it concludes with this summary. It says, so Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth, the Moabitess. By the way, I challenge you guys, you can read the, uh, the story of Ruth. You probably read it in about 15 minutes. But I want you to be reading it all through the month of November, because we're going to be going through it chapter by chapter together. So Naomi uh, was accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess. One of the things I want you to notice is how many times does the author, when he says Ruth, he never just says Ruth or he hardly ever just says Ruth. By the way, Ruth means kindness. And so it's very interesting. The word kindness is developed even in that story of Ruth. But it, uh, it says that uh, Ruth is always called the Moabitess. It's like, hello, we know she's not an Israelite. We know she's not Jewish. We know she's from a foreign country. Do you have to say it every single time? And apparently the author says, yeah, I need to say it every single time because I need you to know what God is doing in the life of this woman who was not born a daughter of Abraham. She wasn't born into the Jewish family. It says, after years being away and finally returning to Bethlehem, which there's another irony, Bethlehem is called the house of bread or the house of food. Years ago, there was a famine in the house of food, but now there's going to be bread again because they're coming at the time of the barley festival and it's going to be abundance again. But uh, Naomi comes back absolutely empty. But in reality, and this is what I want you to notice, in reality, Naomi did not come back empty at all. Naomi came with the most valuable possession when she came back to Bethlehem. She came back with Ruth. She came back with a faithful daughter-in-law and a believer in the God of Israel. And you know, it didn't look like it on the surface. 
Ruth was poor. Ruth was a widow. Ruth was childless. And Ruth was a foreigner from a nation that began. And I, if you want to know, the, the, you can read Genesis 19 if you want to say a Moabitess from the land of Moab. Well, how did Moab, how did that country even get started? You know, Moab got started because Lot, who was Abraham's nephew, was living in a sinful city called Sodom and Gomorrah, and God brought them out from judgment on the city, but the, the daughters thought that they wouldn't have anybody to father their children, so the daughters developed this scheme to get their own father drunk and have sex with him, and so it ended up being an incestuous relationship, and the, the child born to the older daughter, she named Moab, and that's how the country got started. And that's why it was told to the Israelites over and over, have nothing to do with the people of Moab. So you can tell, oh, great. So Ruth is walking in, knowing, knowing that she is a Moabitess, walking in back to the land of Israel. Can't wait for the kind of welcome that Ruth is going to get, you know, landing back in Israel. It's pretty sad. What's amazing about Ruth, she wasn't born into God's family. But here's the point, point number one. And this is in your... Uh, bulletin. So if you have your bulletin, you can take it out and fill the, this, uh, this fill in the blank. Point number one is there is no such thing as an unimportant person in God's eyes. You may think you don't count for much. You may think you haven't accomplished a lot in this world. You may think there's not very many people that care whether you're here or not here. But to God, you are of infinite value because he made you and he wants to redeem you in his son, Jesus Christ. You're worth the price of the life of the Son of God. There's no such thing as an unimportant person in God's eyes. Ruth wasn't born into God's family. She wasn't born a daughter of Abraham. But you know what? Ruth's heart was pure. She recognized her longing to know the one true God when she became the daughter-in-law of Naomi. And as we're going to see in this story, this Moabitess woman, born a foreigner, became accepted by the Lord. Peter says this in Acts chapter 10. He says, God does not show favoritism, but God accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Is that not a great description of Ruth? So that's point number one. Point number two, God is concerned about all people, regardless of race, nationality, or economic status. He is concerned about everyone. God noticed Ruth over there in Moab that her heart was empty. She was trying to discover who God really was. And God arranged in his sovereign plan, he arranged for her to become part of Naomi's family. Outsiders, by the way, and this is my point for today, outsiders, I believe, who are genuinely seeking God who realize the emptiness in your own life and in your own heart, and you're saying, you know, what is life all about? Why are we here on this earth? What happens when we die? What is my purpose for living on, on this earth? You know, we answered a lot of those questions in our Dear God series, and it's online at sebchristian.com if you want to listen. So we talked about a lot of those questions, but for the people that are seeking, God notices people like that. He notices outsiders who are genuinely seeking God, and God is always ready to welcome them. Look at some other examples in Scripture. There's a man named Salmon, Salmon or Salmon, you know, it's like almond or almond, you know, the guy's ready to jump out of the car if you say it wrong, but, but 
But Salmon or Salmon, he was one of the spies that went into the, the, land, the city of Jericho when, they were, when the Israelites were about to conquer the land. And Salmon and his buddy were kept safe by this prostitute named Rahab. And she declares her faith in the one true God, even living in the foreign land. As a Canaanite prostitute, she declared her faith in God and, her, and Rahab was safe. And she was grafted into God's family. Salmon married her, an outsider. Jesus welcomed the Samaritan woman at the well. Peter welcomed the Gentile Roman officer named Cornelius. Paul welcomed the Greek prison guard in the city of Philippi who had shackled up him and Silas. They were all accepted by God, even though they were outsiders at one time to God's family. And you know what? When you think about it, you and I were also outsiders to God's family. And God welcomed you and me into his family. Remember that at, the, at that time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. You know, I would never make Ephesians 2.12 my life verse. <laughs> Because it's pretty depressing. But, and this is one of the great, there's some great big buts in the Bible. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's what God is always trying to do, to bring those who are far away, to bring them near to him and bring them into his family through the sacrifice of his son Jesus and faith in him. So consequently, and this is great news for us, consequently you are no longer foreigners and strangers. You are now fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. At some point in the story, you're going to see Ruth uh, uh, her life is going to come true in verse 19 there. She is going to become a fellow citizen with God's people. And it's a beautiful story. Point number three. God now invites everyone to be included in his family. And that includes you. Look what it says in Ephesians 2.18. It says, for through him. When he talks about him, he's talking about Jesus, the Messiah. Through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. And we say when we both, Paul's talking about two categories of people. Whether you were born as a Jew or whether you were born as a non-Jew, whether Jew or Gentile, either side, either category, through Jesus, we both now have access to the Father by the one spirit. And why? Because God is now inviting everyone into his family. You and I are invited to become part of God's family. God says to you, there's a place for you at my table. Jesus himself, Jesus who gave his life for you and me, Jesus is the one extending the invitation. Now here's the deal. Jesus is ready to welcome you into God's family. He's made a way for you to be forgiven because he gave his life for you. He died as a substitute sacrifice for your sins on the cross. And he says, you can come into God's family through faith in me. There's the invitation now the ball's in your court. Will you accept? Will you RSVP to God? You guys ever gotten an invitation to something, a wedding or uh, some special event, maybe a baby shower, something like that? I, you know, I thank God I've gotten very few invitations to baby showers. But I like the wedding invitations. 
right? And then it says, uh, now, and when you get that formal invitation, is there not some card that is like your RSVP, right? Now, those of you who know French, and I'll butcher the language right now, but those of you who know French, it means respondez-vous. That's where it means you will respond or respond, please. Um, that's what that RSVP stands for in French. But to RSVP to God, I want to break down each letter. And when we RSVP to God, this is what God wants us to do. The first letter, the R in RSVP is realize your need. That you and I are in need of forgiveness and a right relationship with God through Jesus. Realize your need. The S in the RSVP means say you're sorry. Verbalize your repentance. You know, a re repentance is a change in direction. You do a 180 when you say you're sorry. You say, you know, God, I'm sorry for all the wrong things I've done and said. I want to turn around. I want to go back and I want to start walking in your ways and in a right relationship with you. That's what we mean by saying you're sorry. And God wants us to, to say it out loud because the V stands for verbalize. Verbalize your faith. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. God wants us to verbalize our faith. It's not a private little, you know, I want to say a private little only me and God kind of a faith. The Christian faith is meant to be lived out in front of everybody, including the words that we say. So realize your needs. Say you're sorry. Verbalize your faith. And then finally, P, plunge your past. Plunge your past. The New Testament way of responding to God, the New Testament way of saying, I declare that I'm going to be a follower of Jesus for the rest of my life is in baptism, right? We talked about that last week. I asked if any of you wanted to be baptized. There were two young men that came up and said, I do want to be baptized. I'm planning on being baptized. And Lord willing, there's a young man named James who at the beginning of next service, right after the choir sings, He's going to be baptized. And if you want to see that, you want to stick around, just stick around for that. So God wants us to RSVP to him. I hope that you're ready to do that. We're going to bow our heads for a word of prayer. I'm going to invite the choir to come up. So if you're a member of the choir and you're ready to sing, come on up as we pray together. Would you, would you bow your heads? Dear God, We want to thank you today that you have invited us to have a place at your table. And God, today, if we've never done it before, today I accept your invitation to respond to you, to the invitation to follow Jesus, to have forgiveness, to have eternal life, to be part of God's family, to have a welcome place at God's table forever. Lord, thank you for that invitation, and I accept it, Lord. I realize that I've sinned, that I've done wrong things in my life, but I'm asking you, Lord, to forgive me through what Jesus did on the cross, and I declare my trust in you, Lord. I declare I'm putting my faith in you, the one who gave his life for me. Lord, let me follow you wherever it is that you lead me. God, I just want to follow you. I want to be faithful, and I want to live my life to honor you. So show me my next steps. Show me how to follow you in a better way than I even I'm doing today. God, I love you, and I pray all these things in the name of Jesus, my Savior. And all God's people said, amen.